All right, welcome to Surreal Politics on this December 11, 2023, being the current year. This is Stage 1, Episode 38, and I titled this, Shall We Play a Game? You ever seen that movie, War Games? I watched that like a million times when I was a kid. Maybe you want to be a computer hacker. It didn't really work out that way. I just started fixing them instead. But, uh, you know, late last month, I posted about my first time playing Counter-Strike, which had also been streamed at the time. Having acquired much video equipment um, to facilitate these productions, it seemed that getting into the game streaming scene might be a thing worth doing, and this was among my first efforts in that venture. Having suffered a great deal of deplatforming over the years due to our world having become so corrupted that it is considered more reputable to advocate child sexual mutilation than policies considered uncontroversial not so long ago, I found myself looking for new platforms where I might stream my shows to. I was surprised to discover that so many streaming sites, video streaming sites, were devoted to game streaming, and I found this just absolutely bizarre. Um, On some of these platforms, notably Twitch, I simply streamed my talk shows to them anyway and, you know, figured it wouldn't hurt to be off-topic. On others, I had held off to consider the implications. In recent weeks, I have begun streaming games more often, and I am happy to report encouraging early results. I have not seen many thousands of views on these videos, but perhaps most notable result in this early stage of the venture has been that I've been reconnecting with some audience members who I had been previously disconnected from. Also, whether it can be directly attributed to the games or not is uncertain, but I also saw about like a thousand more podcast downloads last week than in the week prior, and whatever the cause, that is obviously very encouraging. Um... Operator Error, that's me, left us with some technical difficulties in the first game stream recording, but I was, uh, fortunately, I was unable to blame my equipment for that. I had made two dumb mistakes. The first one was, having originally set this up to stream my consoles, I had not anticipated that when I played the PC game, that the streaming app would be getting its audio directly from the game and from the mixer, and due to this, the audio from my mixer became an echo to the game's audio, and this was obviously irritating to the viewer. Um, Having become accustomed to streaming myself talking in front of a camera and not a visually, this not being a visually intense experience like a fast moving game, I had uh, become accustomed to streaming at a pretty low bit rate. And this caused a great deal of pixelation in the video uh, when you're doing the the intense thing with the game. Um, I have streamed games several times since then, and these problems have been resolved. There's always room for improvement, of course, and I'll talk about that a little bit as we go forward. But the streams have mostly worked out pretty soundly from a technical angle. The content produced, it's not overall, you know, anything to write home about thus far. Last night was actually pretty interesting. We'll talk about that a little bit, but we have certainly had our moments. Um... To talk about the technology involved here a little bit, the computer I used to stream this show, what I'm streaming from right now, is a Dell Optiplex 7080 with an Intel Core i5 10th generation CPU purchased for me by a generous listener. Thank you very much, sir. I have upgraded the RAM in this to 96 gigabytes. The same listener pitched in the majority of funds in combination with another generous supporter for me to acquire uh, for that machine an NVIDIA RTX 4070 graphics card. On my own, I acquired an Elgato 4K60 Pro PCI Express Capture Card and several HDMI switches. Prior to my 2020 arrest, I had acquired mainly for the entertainment of a prior girlfriend, a Nintendo Switch, a PlayStation 4, and a Nintendo Wii. These and another computer, the Dell Optiplex 7050, are connected to one of those HDMI switches. That switch feeds the 4K60 Pro, and I have to mute my damn telegram again! Excuse me. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. So anyway, as I was saying, let's see here. Prior to my 2020 arrest, I had acquired, mainly for the entertainment of a prior girlfriend, a Nintendo Switch, a PlayStation 4, and a Nintendo Wii. These and another computer, a Dell Optiplex 7050, are connected to one of those HDMI switches. That switch feeds the 4K60 Pro and has a 3.5mm audio extractor port from which I feed the audio into my mixer. This makes switching video feeds very simple to do. The 4K60 Pro has an HDMI pass-through, and this feeds my 55-inch ONN brand 4K TV. My camera is a Logitech C920 1080p 30 frames per second web uh, cam. The image from this is captured by a free application called NVIDIA Broadcast, which uses the GPU for high-quality background removal and artificial eye contact. To improve this quality, I use a green screen behind me and several tripod-mounted USB-powered LED studio lights, which I've acquired. Until recently, when doing the talk shows, I've used NVIDIA Broadcast to replace my background with an image of studio equipment. I have changed the way I do this since I started gaming, and I'm very happy with the results. I now have NVIDIA Broadcast replacing my background with a bright, solid green color. This makes it very easy to use the chroma key feature in my broadcasting application, XSplit Broadcast, discussed later in this uh in this episode, and doing it this way allows me to remove the background completely so I can place myself without further obstruction in whatever scene I happen to be creating in the broadcasting application. I use XSplit Broadcaster for all of my streaming. I've been using this for some years and purchased a lifetime license for this commercial application when I got out of prison, since by that time, the five-year five year license I had brought, bought prior had expired. It is my understanding that most streamers use an application called OBS and that this can do just about everything XSplit can, but I have developed a very strong preference for XSplit. I have OBS installed and have used it several times, but I found XSplit's interface preferable and it seems to do a better job of background removal. In addition to the 55-inch ONN 4K TV, I have another TCL brand 55-inch 4K TV, which now serves as my primary computer monitor, and two LG 27-inch 1080p monitors on a dual monitor stand. These have replaced a quad monitor stand that I had until recently used with four 20-inch monitors. When playing console games, the game is on uh, the game is displayed to me on the ONN TV, but when playing on the PC, the game tends to be on the TCL mostly due to control placement. I keep the Odyssey chat and the streaming application visible on one each of the 27-inch monitors. I'll keep the task manager open as one of several apps visible on whichever 55-inch TV is not showing the game to monitor uh, system performance while streaming. I'll tend to have a web browser on that screen as well so as to look up tips when I get stuck in games. When I was a kid, my parents bought my brother and I, my younger brother and I, the, uh, the original Nintendo Entertainment System, and we loved this thing. Um, I, I later owned a Sega Genesis, and my friends and I used to play Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 for hours upon hours on a near-daily basis for some years. Our girlfriends hated this. We are just sitting around smoking marijuana, playing video games, and when I discovered that people were streaming games online, I thought this was absolutely preposterous because that had previously been the limits of my experience with it, people's interest in watching others play games. On the PC, I spent a few months back in the early 2000s playing a multiplayer hack of Grand Theft Auto 3, um, which I, I don't even think that there was like an official capacity to do that. This was, as I said, it's a hack. And offline, I got quite a kick out of putting this into God mode and seeing how long I could last in battles with police. 
I own the consoles as I do. I own the consoles that I do because, as mentioned above, I bought them largely for the entertainment of a prior girlfriend. I like having her around all the time, but I would um, have to deprive her of my attention for long periods of time so I could get work done. She enjoyed playing Call of Duty and Fortnite on the PS4, and this seemed like a very worthwhile investment to have her nearby when my work reached a point where I could take a break for some cuddles. She had introduced me to Wii Sports Resort, and we very much enjoyed playing the bowling game together. I'd later obtained the Wii Fit Board and the game named after it, and this would become my first introduction to yoga. While on house arrest in Virginia, I found Mario Party to be a low-stress time waster, and with the notable exception of the fact that I find wasting time to be, in itself, uh, stressful. The Switch I purchased with the same idea of entertaining a now-different girlfriend in mind after she had gotten me addicted to Pokemon Go on my cell phone. I thought maybe both of us would get some enjoyment out of the Pokemon games for that system. Having obtained Let's Go Eevee and Pokemon Sword, I was unimpressed, but I did find that fitness boxing went well with my exercise goals. Before I got much enjoyment out of this, of course, the FBI broke my door down and dragged me off to prison, so I didn't get to play for a while. All of which is to say, I'm not much of a gamer. I tend to view these things as terrible wastes of time, and as mentioned, I do not like that concept. If I were playing video games without some kind of business purpose in mind, I would be consumed by feelings of guilt and anxiety over what else I ought to be doing to achieve my goals and be worthy of the financial support I receive from all of you. Giving myself this excuse has allowed me to enjoy the experience more. I am pretty impressed even using these now years-old systems and how far gaming technology has come since I was playing a two-dimensional fighting game high on marijuana in my teens. The largest TV I ever owned before getting out of prison was 32 inches. I primarily used TV to watch the news and I could get 99% of the information I need from this without any visual element at all. I usually do. It didn't make much sense for me to spend money on a larger screen, I thought, but after spending three years fighting with blacks over the television in prison and now having one all to myself, I decided to take advantage of a sale at Walmart to get my first 55-inch. Given the detail of modern video games, I am glad to have done this. My brother owned the first PlayStation and managed to obtain what was then a very difficult uh, to come by copy of the first Grand Theft Auto. This was the first exposure I had to adult themes in video games. Aside from the violence, we now consider it uncontroversial to expose kids to. Um, and we thought it was absolutely hysterical back then to run around stealing cars and assaulting prostitutes. Today, gaming is largely caught up to the rest of pop culture in its degeneracy. Sex and profanity and crime are ubiquitous in gaming now. This is admittedly very amusing to me, although it does give me some apprehension about branding concerns as I mix this with my media business. I've been running radic the Radical Agenda name as a, uh, and font as a watermark on the videos and playing the surreal politics music as an outro, which as an aside, is a very cool effect as the character gets into his car and drives off to end the show. My original idea was to use the game streaming as a way to bring new eyes and ears to the political content, so from this perspective, it makes sense to mix the brands. But as I'm running around as a black car thief in Grand Theft Auto V, I find myself tempted to register a new LLC and domain name to separate these things from one another. We'll see what happens with that. <clears throat> I think an important part of this enterprise going forward will be interacting with other players online, but I'm approaching this with significant caution due to the knowledge that one can be banned from platforms for uttering crime think, which I have some notorious habit for doing. On our Counter-Strike stream, we had some interactions with other players, and these were pretty entertaining. In subsequent streams, mostly using my consoles, there has been absolutely none of this since I'm playing solo. 
It is my decidedly limited understanding that I may have a bit more room to breathe on the PC, uh, playing the PC games in this way, since I can obtain some of the games, such as Counter-Strike, for free, and thus it will not be the end of the world if I have to create a new account. This is a substantially more serious problem with the console, since the games are associated with the user account and or a specific device. For the Nintendo Switch and PlayStation Online features, a paid account is necessary for online interactions, and the, and the costs of these are much lower when you purchase a year at a time. To purchase for a year of online service and then be banned for political speech could get very uh, expensive very quickly. The mechanics of this are something I absolutely must become familiar with so I can learn how to navigate it. There is uh, very limited entertainment value for the audience in watching me play games by myself, and I am minimally inspired to provide my own commentary when interacting with NPCs who cannot hear what I'm saying. My talents will be best applied when I'm able to speak in real time with other players, and this is a high-priority element I need to focus on to make it worthwhile. In the interim, audience interaction has thus far also been pretty limited, but I set up a Discord server just for game streams recently, and this has actually been pretty positive already. During the first Counter-Strike stream, I was communicating with the listener um, who uh, suggested I play the game, and we were, we were communicating with each other within the game itself. At some point during that broadcast, I placed our text chat as a semi-transparent overlay within the game, but I wasn't even watching the audience chat, which is how I failed to notice the echo and uh, pixelation issues. In subsequent streams, I made a point to keep an eye on the Odyssey chat and to respond to comments during gameplay. At one point, um, I tried to place the Odyssey chat as a semi-transparent overlay atop the game video, but this was not much liked by the audience. It was wisely suggested this be limited to paid super chats, and this seems like a thing worth figuring out for sure. But more complete audience involvement has always been a signature of my Open Phones shows. Last night, it was commented on by a viewer on Rumble that I am at my best when speaking directly to the audience. And though this is a nice compliment, I recognize the truth in this. Though this was a nice compliment, and I recognize the truth in this, my scripted monologues are a labor-intensive process to write, and my off-the-cuff commentary, though often some of my best material, does require some prompting and is not something that can be summoned on demand. Conversation is often the best way to prompt me to come up with something worth saying, and in the last two months, viewers joining the Discord while I played the games served this purpose quite well. I'm sorry, in, in the last two streams, not the last two months. However, access control here becomes the problem. In the course of a fast-paced fast-paced game, keeping an eye on the caller ID, bringing in callers, ending their calls, and being attentive enough to drop a troublesome caller before the, he gets too much disruption out onto a live broadcast is a very substantial challenge. So the existing call-in telephone features I use for the live shows does not seem a viable option. The most obvious way to do this would be the Surreal Politics member chat function, but this has long been an unsatisfying technology which I have sought to replace. This past Wednesday, I was completely unable to hear two different listeners, so I have just completely canceled my subscription to that service. When I first launched Surreal Politics, I had intentions of using Discord for audience interactions, and I acquired software to limit access to a Discord server to membership status within my websites. This was met with audience hysteria from paranoiacs, most of whom likely have never paid me a dime, but the noise level was sufficient that I have, for the most part, abandoned this part of the project. There's also some question as to the merits of limiting audience interaction to paid subscribers if the goal is to bring in new people through the game streams. For now, I've gone ahead and set up a completely different Discord. I won't link to it here for the time being, but I have begun placing expiring invite links in the game stream descriptions for those who wish to participate in this way while they're online. 
I've been tinkering with a couple things, Rocket.chat and XMPP servers when I have time to do so. Uh, the other day, I fired off an email to two people who have been helping me with my tech burdens, asking them to move this to the top of their priorities. One got back to me, and uh, we're testing a Synapse server, which is based on the same software as the Matrix Messenger service, and we'll see where that goes. Um, one of the things I was actually doing just before we got started here today, the, the headphones that I'm using right now for the shows, they're, they're pretty high quality, and they, and they came with a, a cord that has a microphone built into it. I never particularly liked this style of microphone, even for using a phone, and it certainly is unfit for professional audio. Fortunately, the manufacturer offers a boom mic attachment, and I have acquired one of these. At the same time I got that, I purchased a HyperX Cloud 3 gaming headset that is supposed to be among the best wired gaming headsets that one could acquire. I was troubled to discover that it, these are very difficult to connect to my mixer, unfortunately. These use what are known as Electret microphones. They require a low-voltage power supply to function, similar to a condenser mic, but not the 48-volt phantom power that my uh, mixer is accustomed to. To facilitate this, I purchased an XLR to 3.5 millimeter adapter that also reduces the 48-volt phantom power of my audio mixer to the 3 to 5 volts required by the Electret microphones. This works perfectly with one notable exception. While my mixer is capable of outputting... Uh, uh, putting out 48 volt phantom power this power is not carried through my noise gate and the noise gate if you do not know is um it's a device that it only allows sound above a certain level to pass into the mixer and that's very important for this production um thus to get the electric microphone with to work with the noise gate i required a separate 48 volt power injector to which the xlr 48 volt to 3.5 millimeter 3 to 5 volt adapter may then be attached <laughs> I ordered one of these recently as a at a cost of $37. It has been delivered. I Until this morning, I had not picked it up, but I did get it today. Um, the unit I purchased has some unique features in that it is a two-channel device, so I can actually connect two microphones to it, and it also has a th separate 3.5-millimeter audio out so that I can take that audio into a different feed if I have cause to. Now, this uh, coincides well with my recent acquisition of a preamp for the Shure SM7B. It's actually in use right now. Um, this is, uh, it was previous to this, it was having, the, the microphone I'm speaking into now was having its gain boosted by something that's actually like a voice changer that I just turned the voice changing off on. It's a TC Helicon device. Um, but th this was always suboptimal and I'm, I'm glad to have taken that out of my, uh, configurations here. Uh, let's see here. The, uh, you know, over the years... I have had a few different time slots for the live call-in shows. We did 5 to 7 p.m. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for several years. We still do Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but I've been doing them starting at 9.30 p.m. U.S. Eastern, as those who are watching live know too well. Um, it has been suggested that this time slot is suboptimal and some deliberation on changing this is in order. I've not been streaming the games on any particular schedule, and this has had the effect of helping me connect with people I would not otherwise connect with from the show's history. At least two have joined the Discord to talk to me, and others have commented on Rumble Chat that it was only through this late-night streaming that they realized I was even out of prison, which is pretty cool. Streaming at different hours, predictably, makes me available to different audiences, and it might be prudent to keep this unpredictable so that I can continue bumping into new people, and those not so new, but whom I've not seen in a while. On last night's stream, I was joined by a talented fellow who runs a podcast of his own that should probably be more popular than it is. He observed that playing the games has the potential to make me appear more relatable to people who are not immersed in the subject matter my shows are known for. 
That seems to me a wise observation. When we are involved in politics, particularly unpopular politics, much ends up getting invested into in-group identification, and these in-group identification techniques are often off-putting to outsiders. There's a theory in which this is actually beneficial so far as in-group identification goes, but it is not conducive to recruitment. I'm just a normal guy like you playing video games. Let's talk about whatever is a much different pitch than check out my edgy political talk show. And it opens up opportunities for engagement that would not otherwise exist. One of the things that made the radical agenda successful in the first place was that it reached people as very unexpected to see a man cursing up a storm, talking about violence and throwing around racial epithets mixed in with high verbal intelligence, eloquence and sophisticated subject matter. This was then quite uncommon. I would guess that it still is. And people found this a very novel form of entertainment. In media, in any business, one must innovate to get ahead. Doing the same thing over and over again places substantial limits on what one can accomplish. And so I have always made some attempt to do this whenever I sense things are getting stale, as judged by my own satisfaction and what I can measure from traffic stats, revenue, and audience engagement. Restrictions placed upon my resources and ability to travel in recent years have proved burdensome on this effort. I'm all too conscious of the perils I face in man-on-the-street interactions, and doing these in my home city carries with it extra risks I cannot afford to incur at present. Online gaming provides opportunities to have interactions with strangers without incurring that risk. I do not know how much I don't know much about the game streaming business, but from what I've been able to discern, I am not I, I am the only one doing this the way that I am. A political talk show hosted by an edgy comedian with a visual element in the form of a video game appears to be a unique product with the potential to have some popularity. Time will tell. I've long considered these productions, you've heard me say before, a radio show with a studio cam. The audience and competitive pressures have dragged me kicking and screaming into this century, compelling me to introduce a more substantial video element. Most of my shows consist visually of little more than me speaking into a microphone. That is more than sufficient for many, but it is far from obvious to anyone scrolling thumbnails on a website that such a thing is worth watching. The games provide a very compelling visual element with a functionally limitless potential for variety. I'm not so good at playing these games, and it is not my goal to become so proficient at them that I could be a competitive player. I do hope to be able to play them more competently than I currently do, however. Especially on last night's stream, it became evident that the challenge of keeping a thought for a complex comp uh, discussion proves competitive with competitive gameplay, uh, competent gameplay, I should say. At times, this disrupted the game, and at others, it disrupted the conversation. Seeking commentary on this from the audience, it was mentioned by at least one person that disrupting the, uh, the game disrupting the conversation was the more damning of the two for the entertainment value. But of course, this is a person who tunes in to listen to me talk, so I imagine there may be some diversity of opinion there. There is, however, reason to expect that I'll be able to better manage this as time goes forward. That's part of the task, is getting better um, acclimated. The most disruptive parts of the conversation last night were when Grand Theft Auto V introduced new controls, such as when I was went from driving a car to riding a bicycle or swimming, during which I needed to learn, in that moment, a new method of directing the character in the game. This is altogether less problematic when I'm just driving, a function I become familiar enough with that I can talk while I do it. I've so far streamed the new Alex Jones video game, which sucks, Counter-Strike 2, Need for Speed Heat, Postal 2, and Grand Theft Auto. Each of these has unique elements for online content. I do not think I'll play the Alex Jones game again, since it is not very compelling. 
Counter-Strike 2 has a limited map, but excellent opportunities for player engagement. Since it is a free game, it is not the end of the world if I get banned from that system, and I can always create a new account and come back with a new identity for new interactions. As mentioned, I have not attempted to play uh, the player-to-player -player interactive elements for the console games, but these are available and will be experimented with in due course. Grand Theft Auto is a story-intensive game, and it is thus and and it is thus far my uh, favorite to play. It, but it may be the case that the storyline of the game is hostile to the con, um, conversational element of the streams. Need for Speed Heat is more seems more conducive to this element. The lives of the characters seem significantly less important to the gameplay, so talking over them, the viewer loses little in terms of the storyline. I have not streamed these yet, but I also have acquired Mortal Kombat XL, Mortal Kombat 11, Street Fighter 6, Tekken 7, and WWE 2K23. These fighting games would almost surely be the most conducive to the conversational element since there is no storyline to speak of that I've been able to discern. It is a rather straightforward matter of executing maneuvers within a short matchup uh, upon the completion of which a new matchup begins. Now, it's not quite Omegle, you know, the, the, though not directly pertaining to my decision to begin online gaming, I was inspired a great deal by the talents of a fellow who calls himself Handsome Truth when I stumbled across videos of him interacting with people in a video chat service called Omegle. I'd hoped to begin doing this myself until a legal question had arisen about the wiretapping laws in my home state of New Hampshire. New Hampshire is an all-party consent state in which one must inform all parties in a conversation if that conversation is recorded. This stands in some contrast to most of the country, where any party is welcome to record their own conversations, even if the other parties are unaware. In those states, only a non-party who records intrusively runs the risk of legal liability. Omegle, sadly, was just shut down anyway, and while other services exist and are sure to reap rewards of Omegle's closure... The game streaming uh, routine has the potential to serve a similar function. Rather than it being directly paired with random people to chat, I'm essentially throwing a line into the water and hoping that people will bite. The desired effect here is that I would similarly end up interacting with strangers, and here the disclosure of the recording comes in the form of the, uh, the finding the opportunity to chat with me through a stream in the first place. The caller knows they are being recorded and thereby relieves me of any legal obligations to say so. I have accounts on PlayStation, Nintendo, and Steam, as well as a few others. We can be friends on those systems, if you like. On Nintendo, my name is Rad Agenda, one word. On PlayStation, my name is Radical Agenda, one word. And on Steam, my name is uh, eponymously Surreal Politiques. I will add to these in the future, and uh, I think it'd be cool if we were, uh, we were game friends. And so you should probably go ahead and catch up with me there. And with all of that said, let's see here. 217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program. And I'm going to the less I have to. So please do give us a call. Let me go. Um, what have I done here? Where's my phone system? Pardon me, ladies and gentlemen. There it is. Okay. We're going to move that to the other tab group. And then let's go over and say hello to our chatters. I'm reasonably confident I have screwed up our Rumble friends tonight. And I'm very sorry about that. Um, let's go say hello to our streams. Uh, Chris Norton sends $25. Going to start throwing shekels every stream. Been a listener since the early years. Found Surreal Politics this summer and was glad to see your other show back up as well. Hope to see you on Steam. Well, you will see me on Steam, friend. Thank you very much. 
You want to know my UMK3 character? I was going, I would spin people dizzy with that cabal guy is what I used to do. Um, and, uh, and I've been playing, when I've been playing Mortal Kombat on the, on the PlayStation and the Wii, I, I've been using Scorpion is what I've been doing lately, trying to get reacquainted, um, with that character. Let's see here. Now, can I fix this? Give me just a second here, uh, boys and girls. Let me see if I can uh, bring in our Rumble friends. Hang on one second. Because I screwed our Rumble friends over, and I'm very sorry about that, Rumble. You know, what Rumble does is really irritating that, like, you have to, every single time, every single time you, you create a new stream, they give you a new um, address and stream key, which is like, it, 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 it's a major, it's a major, major problem, and they need to fix it because it, it puts me in this position where um, I have, I have my, I'm not going to get into the whole thing about the configurations, it's not worth doing. And so uh, let's go make sure that that has begun. I think I have just fixed that. And let's see. Uh, Rumble audience. Yeah, sorry, Rumble. Just fixed it. So Rumble, guys, you have missed the opening monologue, I regret to say. But uh, for the replay, I will upload the uh, I will upload the full video. Okay, um, I apologize for uh, messing you guys up. You know the Rumble guys. I gotta say, I, one of the things I really like about Rumble is um, I'm reconnecting with people on Rumble who are finding me on Rumble who are like, oh, I haven't seen this guy in years. So I guess these are people who are like YouTube refugees or whatever. And so um, that's pretty cool, I'd say. You know. And so, 217-688-1433, if you'd like to be on the program, and the more you tell, the less I have to, so please do give us a call. Uh, okay, good. Rumble is now working, and we'll, uh, we'll let that be. Uh, let's do this. We're in. It thinks I'm Falcon. Hello. You that it'll ask you whatever it's programmed to ask you you want to hear it talk yeah i'll ask it how it feels i'm fine how are you excellent it's been a long time can you explain the removal of your user account on june 23rd 1973 they must have told it he died People sometimes make mistakes. Yes, they do. How can I talk? It's not a real voice. Uh, this box just interprets signals from the computer and turns them into sound. Shall we play a game? Oh. <laughs> I think I missed them. Yeah, weird, isn't it? Yeah. Love to. How about global thermonuclear war? Wouldn't you prefer a good game of chess? <laughs> Later. 
Let's play Global Thermonuclear War. Fine. Fine. Which side do you want? I'll be the Russians. <laughs> Good call, bro. Good call. All right. So anyway, 217-688-1433. You'd like to be on the program. And the more you tell, the less I have to. So please give us a call. Got some news before the show started today. Um, and, uh, you know, I want to dance around this delicately. I, I posted to Telegram. Uh, I shared some stuff from the... National Justice Party's um, Telegram channel, and there's some there's some questions about that that I'm not prepared to uh, discuss. It, it seems to me that what I've relayed is accurate information in any case, and that is that uh, Tony Hoveter has been relieved of his position as Chief of Staff of the NJP. This is a decision um, taken by uh, Mike Enoch in consultation with national staff and supporter group directors, and... Um, he claims to have their uh, complete support, and he says in the course of this, which I found you know kind of amusing, they're doing away essentially with like this committee structure, and he says, I am now the party, and I found this kind of amusing. It might actually, I'm, I'm not actually, I, I, I want to stress that it's probably a prudent thing, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but I found it amusing because I had said something to this effect. <laughs> you know, on a thing where I discussed the history of uh, myself and those uh, fellows over at the uh, at TRS that like, how many political parties are we going to start was the was sort of the line that I used. And I will go ahead and I will play this clip and we'll be right back. This guy's been screaming NJP NJP. That's the strategy. And then he's out. Right. Was is he going to go start another political party? Is he going to endorse the party that just kicked him out? Is he going to continue attacking Republicans and say vote for Joe Biden, right? How many political parties should we start, fellas? Right? I mean, this can get this can get silly really fast. And I knew this from you know dealing with the libertarians, right? A two-party political system has its flaws, say, you know, but it forces serious political actors to negotiate. That's something that it's not ideologically rewarding to, you know, ideologues, but you know, there's been a lot more stability in the United States than there has been in other parts of the world, say, you know, and you could make the case that, you know, the two party system is largely responsible for that. Like it does not it does not lend itself to dogmatic ideological mysticism. Like you have to go and you just have to negotiate with people because you only have these two vehicles for political and social change. And to in order to participate in either one of those you have to negotiate with the people who are already there and then you have to think about what you know the general public wants and temper your ideological excesses as you attempt to win the public over to your side if you're like an ideologue then that's very unattractive right you're like no like i want to go and just completely reorder society according to my whims you know but as a matter of fact, like the general public doesn't want that. Like even if your ideas are good, like the general public does not want you to completely reorder society, even if you would reorder it better, even if you could convince them that your complete dramatic reorganization of civilization would benefit them, the change alone would be unappealing. So like when people are off in their like, you know, fringe ideological circles and they're like, okay, well, you know, we're going to do something other than other than the two party system. 
What they're actually saying is we're going to go do something other than politics. And that's fine. You can do that. But, like, watch what happens every single time. It's, it's a perfectly predictable circumstance that, you know, those people are going to have more interpersonal spats than, than, than the regular political parties do because that's all there is to it. There's not a higher purpose to be obtained, right? Like, if you're in the Republican Party and you're trying to win the presidency of the United States, you can temper your ego and your ideological excesses because you, because you have no other choice, and that's how you work towards obtaining that, that grander prize, which is your party in control of the government. If you have no intention of being in control of the government, what is there? There's money. There's ego. <laughs> you know, maybe there's sex. Like, there's no higher thing to be obtained than your own personal grandizement. And so you're going to have, you know, more of these things than you do in in the two-party system. And of course we see, this is not to say the two-party system is free of scandal, <laughs> right? It's, it's all over the place. But that's all you have in third-party politics. It's the only thing that you have is your own personal aggrandizement. So obviously you're going to see these things. Now, is everybody who has this problem, are they going to go start a new political party? Well, they might as well. Like, why not? You know, you're going to have the Eric Stryker political party, the Mike Enoch political party the the sven political party like everybody just start your own political party you know we'll just have them you know you just you start a political party like you start an llc you get a you know you, you just have your own sub stack it, your sub stack is your political party fundamentally right you know whatever it is that's that's what third party politics is at the end of the day and so i thought that that was uh that turned out to be shall we say prescient and it's not something that I aim to like rub their nose in. Like I, I think that people who are, I, I I think anybody who's celebrating the downfall of TRS as a consequence of this is celebrating very prematurely. It, you know, if you're not a huge fan of the um, NJP, that might be another story because it does look like um, Sven had made a post. He said it's for the better. There will be a return to the way things were in the pool party days. Mike will be in charge, but nothing more. But of nothing more than offering help to groups out there who need it. And so. That would certainly indicate a dramatic change in the structure of the National Justice Party. And so, you know, people who are fans of TRS but not of the NJP, I would say that, you know, you might have something to celebrate. The uh, uh, If you are not a fan of the TRS guys, I, I think that you're probably celebrating prematurely because this is something that I think will uh, turn out to the benefit of them in the long run. You know, the, the party structure entails obligations which are distinct from those of a media operation. And a media operation of that size, I mean, even an operation of this one, you know, has very substantial burdens of its own. I've always said that the vehicle of the political party could be useful, say, for example, to open financial accounts or to obtain business services the podcast cannot get. This is not a totally different category of action that what, than what I've done between Surreal Politics and the Radical Agenda, establishing a separate brand to do things that the other cannot do. Presenting as a political party or some other sort of corporate entity has advantages and properly applied, it can do good things. But saying join the NJP is your political strategy, on the other hand, it rings hollow to serious political actors. It was never going to be that, and savvy observers always understood this, and so... I mean it when I say that I wish our friends over there at TRS the best. I hope they can patch up their friendships once they deal with the structure of their incentives. So, 217-688-1433, if you'd like to be on the program, and the more you talk, the less I have to, so please do. Give us a call. Caller, you are on Surreal Politics. What can I do for you today? 
Good evening, Chris. Um, I have two game recommendations that I, I think are fun to watch. Um, okay. And you might find rewarding. And if you like these games, I might even donate to uh, each time that you play them. Oh, that'd be a great idea. Um, <laughs> one is Skyrim. I don't know. Have you heard of Skyrim? I've I've heard of it, but I don't know anything about it. I understand that the name is popular enough to have name recognition with me is the extent of this. Yeah, it, it's a very popular game. Um, it's kind of has like a, a medieval type of setting where you can run around this different place. It's a huge open world type of thing. But um, one of the, the features that it has is w- with a mod, you can have an AI companion that you can talk to over the microphone, right? And she will respond back to you. And the, and the conversations get quite hilarious every time I've seen it done. Well, I will uh, I will investigate that, and I appreciate the suggestion. You know, like I said, I don't I don't know much about the game, but I it is it is I do recognize its popularity as such that Skyrim has name recognition with me. So I will uh, I'll look into that one. Is that um, now is that on all the platforms, or is that a PS4, or is it a PC, or is it non-platform specific? Um, you can play it on Steam. I, I'm sure I know okay. for sure. Um, I think it originally started out as an Xbox game, but uh, it's been, you know, so popular and been playing forever. You probably get it on PlayStation, I would figure as well. Okay. Um, so I, I would, I would figure it's all platform. Um, the, the second game that, that I want to recommend is kind of the same thing. They're both made by the same company. Um, but it's kind of got a different feature. Uh, Fallout 4. Have you ever heard of Fallout Four? Um, I've heard of Fallout. I think is that like um, uh, th- there's that like yellow and blue cartoon character associated with it. I believe, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah I recognize like the a, brand a name, but I don't know anything about the game. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a post-apocalyptic game and another big open-world game um, and everything like that, and. And it's, you know, I don't know, it's lots of kind of a scientific type of thing. So futuristic Skyrim, you could almost think. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Both these great games, both these games I I put my soldiers on whenever I thought they needed a stress break. And it's like, okay, I want you to do nothing but play these games for like a week and then come back to me and we'll talk about your return to duty. (laughs) And it worked, you know. I mean, they they loved it. it. It was two games that were also very popular, like in um, Desert Storm and and everything like that, where you know soldiers can can play and lots of people, you know it's it's fun to watch and and everything like that. I don't know. It's it's almost like watching a movie. Uh, yeah, both these games. I got that. But um, with Fallout Fallout Four, uh, one of the features that you might find uh, interesting or rewarding is there's a mod for it to where it's kind of like it has different factions in the game, you know, that, that kind of do their own thing and everything. And one of the factions you can mod to play as our, our favorite German army. <laughs> right? So uniforms in everything. You know, it, it, it's, it's definitely something that 
I would watch. I, I would do, donate for. I, I think, you know, I think you would have a good time playing it. And uh, I think people would have a good time watching it, as, as well as Skyrim, too, you know, with the AI companion. Um, but I, I, I've been listening to you talking about the different games that you, you know, would play and thinking about the game stream and everything like that. And I've wanted to suggest these games <laughs> since, since you started doing this. But uh, since this is pretty much on topic tonight, I figured uh, tonight would be a good time to call in and do so. Well, you know, I uh, I always appreciate people calling into the into the shows, even if they're off topic. But if you're on topic, wow, it's you know, it's a it's a really nice treat. So I do appreciate that, my friend. Anything uh, anything else you want to get out there before I let you go? Well, on, on just a just a kind of a side topic. Um, one of the things that I was thinking of that would might be able to we could adapt our government, but kind of keep the same government that we kind of have is is that you know label something uh, a meta, meritocracy, you know, so a meritocracy, right? But have a generational republic. So basically, you have you know each of the five generations play the pull pull or uh, play the role as the president but more of like you know a council so it's, i mean obviously i i i would look at the past 30 years and i'd say we've been living under a, a boomer dictatorship <laughs> you know and they're holding on to that power and they definitely don't want to let it go tourism so we had each generation also had a say you know and each generation could maybe vote for their representative if they choose to or something like that. I just figure that might be a way to keep our current, you know, our, you know, three, three different bodies, but just have them under the executive body instead of a president. Well, you know, it, it seems to me, uh, I'd have to consider the implications of that to comment upon it more intelligently, but you know I, I, what? What strikes me about what you're saying? The idea out there. What what you're what what you're saying strikes me this way, which is that you know I have what might be described as a somewhat ethnocentric worldview, and so I'm averse to anything that creates divisions within the ethnic group. And so, like um, generational divisions would certainly stand out in that. I I I, I really don't like it when you know like alt right personalities have complained about boomers, even if the even if the critique is, you know, merited, it's like, you know, it's almost like I have a similar opinion about it to when pe when men are complaining about women or vice versa. It's like, well, if you have, you know, if you have an ethnocentric political movement, then you don't want to create divisions along gender and, uh, you know, I, sh I should stop using that phrase, I, gender, sexual like and, and like generational a, lines, you know. A, a form of bigotry, you know, basically. And and it's like, well, I, I always kind of go with the formula, or this is what worked well with, with you know, I, I fought many different types of troops all over the world, right? And we used the basic formula that human behavior is experience times intelligence. So basically, if you know a group of people's experience and you know a group of people's intelligence, well, then you could kind of predict about 75% of their behavior you follow me on that i i can understand the calculation that you're describing yeah i think it, it, i'm not i i don't guess that you're 
um, making a precise calculation, but a, a rough estimate makes sense, yes. Yeah, rough estimate. And, and so that's what I would say is, that, you know, it, it's been proven that there is really not much difference between the sexes. Right. Especially if they have similar experiences. And this is and this is why and this is why I'm going to get into it. Whereas there's there's a bigger difference, uh, even even physiologically, you know what I mean, between the de- the generations. But they definitely have different experiences, even if the intelligence are, are the same. You know, I, like I said, you know, I don't necessarily like the saying, you know, like a if it's sounding bigoty and saying all oh, the boomers, you know, all, you know, but, but the boomers had a lot of opportunities that, that the rest of us don't have, but they still think that we have them. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I can understand that they, they have a perspective that is in some contrast to the experience of younger generations. That makes perfect sense to me. I, yeah, because they have a different experience. I, I wholeheartedly disagree with your assessment that there's not much different between the sexes. I think that they're dramatically different and that, you know, reconciling those differences is one of the more challenging, though, well, though, though, though rewarding, enjoyable and vital, you know, components of the human experience. But, you know, the it, I would go ahead. I, I would say that if there's if there's difference between men and women, right, I mean, we are talking about a, you know, it's hard to say men because, you know, white men are divided into two groups. You know, if, if you read, uh, I can't think of the book right now, but it's like half of white men have a low IQ below 135, right? The other half of white men have a high IQ above 135. And most white women are the IQ of 135, you know, or, or I'm just using that as a, a generalization. Your 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 there's numbers are incorrect, but I understand the, the scale that you're discussing. Yeah. Okay. So there's a bigger difference between the beta and the alpha, I think, than there is between men and women. So even if there's a difference between men and women, I think there's a even bigger difference. See what I'm saying here? Is is between the guy who has to chase women and the guy who is chased by women. I would say that. You know, um, it, the it, it difference it, experiences differ dramatically according to intelligence. I think that that's a, a very fair assessment, um, and you know, many other components, of course. Uh, the you know, I'm a guy who knows a thing or two about hormones, say, and the the impact that hormones make on a person's psychology, I think, is not well understood by most people. But the the, I think that women have a thought process that men cannot even begin to comprehend and that you know we should we should probably be more conscious of that when taking their feelings into consideration is sort of my broader view on the relationship between the sexes but you know i i don't think that intelligence is 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 what is what draws the line between the experience of men and women in any case i think a a man with a 140 iq and a woman with a 140 iq rare though they may be actually do not have such a similar experience I, I think that a woman's hormonal life and a man's hormonal life put them on completely different planets and and i shouldn't say completely different planets but like you know they are complementary to one another they they are they require each other's um they require each other's um not just 
that not just for reproduction, but you know that they are literally not whole people in the absence of the other. That they these two things are are what's required to put the world in, into perspective. I think is a probably a fair way to summarize it. But um, in any case, I, I think that <clears throat> it's probably reasonable to. I, I think that w- representation within the government based upon generational representation within the state is not a completely unreasonable goal say that that you have okay th- this group has interests and those interests need to be represented and this group has interests and and they need to be represented and the representatives of those groups need to negotiate and discuss what their interests are and 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 how they are coming into conflict and and how to resolve those conflicts without causing more problems for the civilization i, I think is a fair um description of affairs and and that i think has uh, th- there's merit to that for sure yeah that's, i just wanted to bring that up is you know a, a generational republic would you know would basically we keep our own you know how we have it already set up just it would replace the the president with the council or, or at least that was my idea you know from from seeing how how things are going today Right. Anyway, you have a good night, Chris. It, you, it was a good talking to you. You too, my friend. Call again. Thank you very much for the call. 217-688-1433 if you would like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to, so please do give us a call. Maybe I'll read. Maybe I'll go into... I could go into... I'll tell you what. I'm going to go look at the Odyssey chat in a second. I want your opinion on this. So I had written... Um, those of you who follow me on Telegram will have heard almost all of this already. I, I basically put together a blog post. Let me find... Oh, that's on, not on Surreal Politics. It's on ChristopherCantwell.net. Stand by while I pull this up. But what I had put together, I, I kind of like... On the on the prior episode of the Radical Agenda, some like malicious person called in and, and started in with this like slandering the guys at the, the right stuff that biz. And I, and I hung up on the guy and moved on and then he tried to start antagonizing me on on gab and i and i ended up on going on a bit of a tirade about it and i and i talked about some of the things that have been they've been accused of and um and my general outlook on the topic of slander and value more broadly and i have this thing that is let's see here it is 4,132 words at present. So I'm going to, I could either do that or I can read news from Revolver. I'll look at the Odyssey chat after this call and take your opinions about it. 217 688 1433. If you'd like to join us, caller, you're on Surreal Politics. What can I do for you today, friend? Hello. Uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks uh, for being on. I wanted to, wanted to talk about a historical incident that I remembered. And I think you should probably remember it, too, because I believe we're about the same age. Okay. So uh, do you remember the TV show Murphy Brown? I do. Yeah. So that TV show came out. It was the first show that had a single mom uh, as as a character on TV, as far as I know, ever. And when that yes. show came out, the then vice president at the time, Dan Quayle, made some comments about how it wasn't really a good thing to portray bad life decisions as a glamorous, high-status lifestyle. Do you remember that? I do. Well, I don't remember the speech by Dan Quayle. I was pretty young when Murphy Brown was in production. 
Um, but I came to later understand why Murphy Brown was controversial. I actually didn't understand it at the time. You know, I was born in 1980, um, just to uh, put it into perspective. And so, you know, I was a preteen child when Murphy Brown was in original production. Um, and so, like, my mother, <laughs> my parents are still married to this day. They never divorced. But my mother found this show fascinating. And I watched it and... You know, I, I I didn't understand everything that was going on in the show very clearly, and then years later, it it dawned, it, it was made clear to me that this was a this was a controversial news story that they had been doing this that basically you know is seen as promoting single motherhood. Um, and today, I agree with that assessment. You know, it, it's it would have been better. <clears throat> it, it influences. It, it it is one of the things I don't bring it up very frequently, but it occurs to me when. You know, we have discussions about deplatforming, right? You know, I, I had this interview with a web hosting talk site called uh, lowendbox.com, which went off like seven hours, and he published near the entire transcript. And it became a very a subject of substantial controversy on their forum, lowendtalk.com. And, um, you know, it, it, we talked about the deplatforming discussion, and I've never, I've never been of the opinion that deplatforming is per se bad, okay? Like, if people are promoting things that we don't want promoted, then we should deplatform them. The reason that I should not be deplatformed is because I, I'm a talented person with worthwhile things to say, and the people who are trying to deplatform me are malicious, dishonest people who are trying to deceive the public. Um, it, but I've never been like, oh, everybody should you know, have a right to speak and air whatever they want. It's never been my view. And I think it's very interesting to think about that something that today would seem so mundane as as Murphy Brown was actually very controversial back in the 80s. Well, yeah, and since you mentioned deplatforming, um, well, so you were probably near the end of 80. I was near the beginning of 80, so I have a little bit more memory of it. But the vice president at the time was effectively uh, deplatformed. Uh, they they threw an absolute fit about this comment he made and they never let him live it down for the rest of the presidency. Like they turned his name into basically a joke in the media, um, right up until he was out of office with uh, president Bush. Well, it's interesting. I had never connected those two phenomena. I, I under, I remember that Dan Quayle has basically gone down in history as a moron. And I, it didn't occur to me that it had anything to do with the Murphy Brown commentary, but given what I know about our media, it makes perfect sense to me when you say that. Yeah, he tried to stand up against the degeneracy, and they absolutely steamrolled him. Um, every from that point on, every flaw, real or imagined, they was just subjected to the most ruthless, uh, you know, mockery. Um, the other big thing was, do you remember potato with an e? Yeah, the misspelling potato is what stands out in my mind. It's like he misspelled potato, and everybody has... He didn't, though. He didn't. He didn't. So spelling potato with an E is an archaic spelling. But at the time when Dan Quayle was going to school, it was still kind of taught as an alternate spelling. And so the question came up during a spelling bee that he was supervising or guest judging or something, and it wasn't a big deal. But because they were already um, because they were already on him about that uh, Murphy Brown comment, they exploded it into this huge national controversy, and just began just anything they could find to humiliate him. They just seized on it, you know, regardless of merit. And it's basically the same tactic we see in the present day. It makes a lot of sense, and and so 
Um, yeah, I, I I never bothered to research the um, the subject, but what you're saying to me makes sense intuitively that like. You know, the media is very invested in this. No, we've got to completely destroy the family. Don't stand in my way, you moron. And, of course, they've got to, you know, devalue his commentary. And so anything they can seize on to do that. And they're so short on things to do that they're like, oh, he took an archaic spelling of a word. And that's not the way that we spell it, you know, in the last two weeks. And so he's obviously very stupid. And that says much indeed about (laughs) their capacity to embarrass the man. I'd say that, like... You know, if if that's all you've got, well, you know, then then you're obviously reaching, huh? Yeah, and I just wonder, you know, I I don't I don't even remember what thought process got me to remember this weird event from my childhood, but I wonder over the last hundred years how many of these there have been, where somebody in a position of authority and you could legitimately say, you know, is part of the ruling class tried to stand up for something decent. And was just uh, steamrolled. And, uh, you know, at some point they must have all just uh, decided to, it wasn't worth the trouble anymore. And now here we are. Yeah, they all just sort of gave up. They were like, uh, oh, well, you know, these uh, these people will completely destroy me if I dare to challenge them. So I guess I better not challenge them anymore. And that's worked out really well for the Republican Party, hasn't it? <laughs> Yep. Yeah, all the uh, all the things that uh, crazy, like e- even the most devout, like evangelicals of the '80s, like the things that even they were like, "Whoa, that's crazy! That would never happen!" Like the 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 far out predictions that like they've all come true. Sadly, indeed they have, man. Indeed they have. Well, um, anything uh, anything else you want to get out there, friend? No, I think that pretty much covers it. Uh, thanks for letting me uh, dredge up a little bit of history on your, your show. Th- thank you very much for doing it. Do 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 it again, please. Thank you very much for the call. 217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program. And we'll talk the less I have to. So please do give us a call. Now, here's an interesting phenomenon. Um, I had long ago disabled anonymous calls into this show. But apparently, um, I have... Uh, I had re-enabled them, it seems, because I have a blocked caller ID. And if uh, he does not make me hang up on him very quickly, then maybe I'll leave it on for a little longer. But I kind of doubt it. Caller, you're on Surreal Politics. What can I do for you? Hey, Chris. Thanks for taking my call. I did indeed use Star 6-7. I won't do that in future. I just did it instinctively. Sorry. (laughs) It's all right. Um, In the future, you might get a busy signal if you do that. If you get a busy signal when calling the show and you know that I'm on the air, it's it's because of your caller ID. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, um, a long-time listener, man, a big fan. Uh, I remember reaching out to you about a half a decade ago asking your opinion on Weave, and that was when we were in the midst of our universal alt-right solidarity, and even then you were kind of wishy-washy, so well spotted. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I was just wondering, man, um, if you could do it all over again, and I mean from jump, before you became a public figure, would you take... Do you think the risks that you took and the sacrifices you made at this point in your life were worth it? Or do you see yourself just doing the nine to five thing? Oh, I would have definitely gone into media. There's no question in my mind about that. Like, like with all of the information presently, you know, whenever you're asked this question, there's, there's two different, you know, questions, you know, 
working with the same set of information available then, you know, obviously you're going to make the same decisions. Go back with the information that you have available today, and then you have the opportunity for revision, clearly, right? Um, but the uh, I would say that if I – you give me a nuclear DeLorean and I get to go back and warn myself about stuff, um, I'd say – I, there's things that I'd change, but it wouldn't. I wouldn't change going into media. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> I probably would have pursued media more ambitiously and more strategically. You know, when I got into doing this, I didn't. I I never expected that I'd be doing it as a career. You have to understand. So I did things that mm. that like screwed up my professional opportunities dramatically. Okay, and 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 mm-hmm. so I had no. I, I did all these things without believing in my potential to be successful as a political media personality. I would well, that's what I was going to interject with. I mean, you were conscious of that when you were doing it. Like, you knew that, you know, when you started doing identity politics, you know what you were doing, getting into it. Well, but, it, the, but it, so here's the thing, is that I get into identity politics after years with the libertarians, okay? And so, like, you know, with the libertarians, a lot of people don't know this if they don't know the old shows, but, like, you know, I would go out and say things. I, I would openly state that it was a desirable goal to violently overthrow the government of the United States, okay? And so, like, <laughs> when you do that, like, you invite so much trouble into your life, okay? And so, like, I was asked this by a police officer one day. It was kind of funny. In, in Key, New Hampshire, they were like, it, the cops had stopped me because I was <laughs> I was in a movie theater, and I, and I said on Telegram... Um, I just sat down to watch The Joker, and I have a gun, which is just an accurate statement of me doing something completely legal, but obviously it drives people insane who are, like, watching my Telegram account, right? And so the cops right. come because some maniac in the FBI, I come to find out, is like, is like, oh, my God, he's in the theater with a gun. you got to go stop him. And it's like, well, you know, as a matter of fact, the FBI knew very well that that was not an indication of danger. They're just making my life difficult. But <laughs> what right. what what... What the cop asked me, he's like, well, like, why are you, you know, why are you creating all of this static for yourself? You know, like, you know, if you could do something else, like, why don't you do this? And my answer to him was because I already said all this stupid crap with the libertarians. Like, I can't dig myself out of this hole and just go into normal, mainstream, respectable politics. I've I've dug myself into this position. So when I started venturing down the path of identity politics, part of the reason that I did it was because I saw that. You know, other people were afraid to do it. They were afraid that they were going to harm their reputations. And I said, well, my reputation is already trash from all the lunatic things that I've said with the libertarians. So, like, you're going to, what are you going to call me a racist? I don't care. Go ahead. Right. Like, right. You know, that, that seemed to be a reasonable thing for me to do in the position that I had already worked myself into. Had I understood. Do you think you were correct about that, though? Do you think the, the heat that you took for saying libertarian stuff, and I know it was edgy, I appreciate that. But surely the white nationalist stuff is just going to bring another level, right? Well, the thing is that I didn't fully appreciate that either, right? So the thing is that I actually did not understand the gravity of what I was getting myself into. So, like, you know, my thought process had been I've been running around saying, you know, I've been running around literally making myself an enemy of the state, and in the libertarian mindset, the state is the most powerful institution. The state is the most dangerous institution. And so all the enemies that it, my mindset at the time was incorrectly that um, I, was, I was incorrectly believing that 
in comparison to the state, one could not make a stronger or more dangerous foe. And so for me to go out and upset, you know, activists and lobbyists and, you know, Jewish lawyers or whatever, I did not think that that could possibly hold a candle to the perils that I had endured as a libertarian. And I was made to understand mm. that that is very misguided. <laughs> and so, like, <laughs> if I had any concept of, like, like it wasn't, you know, I had no history of, like, the white nationalist movement. I had no many idea how many, you know, different activists have been killed or spent the rest of the I didn't know any of this stuff. And so, like, right. when I got involved in it, I really did not... I did not comprehend the gravity of what I was getting myself into. And so, you know, if I had understood then the things I understood today, you know, would I have ventured down the path? I, I, th I imagine that something approximating what I've done would have happened, but I probably would have been, I would certainly have been more cautious about it. I just don't know, you know, in what, what capacity off the top of my head, but it's a, it's a thoughtful, you know, thought exercise for sure. Fair enough. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate you. I appreciate you, too. Thank you very much for the call. 217-688-1433. If you'd like to be on the program, and the more you told, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. I was a, I, I appreciated that uh, probably more than you realize, friend. Thank you very much for that. You know, that is, um, you know, a guy called into the, uh, into the game stream the other night on the Discord, and uh, I noticed that, you know, he had a very, he, he, his voice sounded good and he was, he was talented for talking. And he mentioned that he had an expensive microphone. And when we got off the stream, I asked him for his email or whatever. And I told him like, hey, you know, I, I said to him, you're talented, keep out. He mentioned that he had a podcast and he said, oh, but, you know, nobody listens to it. And so um, when I emailed him afterwards, I was like, you know, hey, keep at it, man. You know, like you're talented. You have, you have the potential to be successful. Be more strategic than I was. I... Um, I cut myself off from a lot of opportunity trying to get ahead through shock value. It was the, the advice that I gave him. And that's sound advice, you know. Um, you, can, you can rapidly gain through shock value, right? You can, you can skip the line in some respects, but it limits what you can accomplish overall is what I've learned very much the hard way. Um, and so, you know, if I could go back to, you know, my first YouTube videos, <laughs> you know, I would change a lot of things, but, you know, we're not granted opportunities like that. And so we work with, uh, we work with the circumstances that we have created for ourselves. 217-688-1433. If you'd like to be on the program and the more you tell the less I have to, so please do give us a call. Um, failing that. Nobody has given me any input on the question of whether I should read this TRS thing or whether I should read the news. So I'm just going to read the TRS thing. Um, during the holiday season, yes, Christmas time, of course, I'm just making a general statement that includes Thanksgiving. So relax. It is prudent to reflect upon those things that we are grateful for. Among the things I am most grateful for is that I have better things to do with my life than hate the folks over at the rightstuff.biz like it's my full-time job. On stage six, episode 45 of The Radical Agenda, a disreputable cartoon character, mostly most likely homosexual and of Jewish ancestry, aimed to slander my business competitor with my assistance. As anyone with even a peripheral awareness of my content and two brain cells together rub, uh, two brain cells to rub together knows all too well, I am averse to this sort of thing. So upon refuting his nonsense, I promptly ended the call with my thanks. The little 
S then started in with me on Gab, and I told him that I'd not tolerate slander. If he has a legitimate point, I'll gladly hear it, but I'd appropriately uh, block his number each time he tried the stunt in the future, at which point he announced his endless supply of Obama phones and promised to waste his days and financial resources calling me from this disreputable stockpile of federal assistance. And so here's this screenshot that I'm referencing. Uh, I had much more to say, and it's unfortunate you dropped my call. There's a lot of issues surrounding Mike Enoch in particular and the NJP in general that are concerning. I do enjoy your show, and I'm just looking for answers and thought that you'd be the one to ask, obviously. Anyway, maybe next time we can talk more. And I said, next time, don't spew falsehoods on my show. You said things that are demonstrably false. You call my show to slander people again. I'll ban your number and I'll block you wherever I find you. Man, I'm so sorry I asked some legitimate questions on your show about a guy who's got more than enough S surrounding him that I don't have to slander him or make demonstrably false statements about him. Next time I call your show, I'll do it from a different number and use my Frank Rizzo voice to ask you about Mike's ex-Jew, Benai Barith wife. Okay, beef tits? And I said, I'll ban your number and the one after that, and I'll make sure everyone knows that you're a lying homosexual. Thanks for demonstrating this consistently in public. He says to me, I've got an arsenal of Obama burner phones, bro. And I say, scumbags tend to do that, all right? And so this is the sum and substance of this man's intellectual input to our society, and that's why you know some people don't believe that everybody has a right to live. What this guy is doing is obviously contemptible no matter how you look at it. If you're stockpiling prepaid phones, you're generally finding it worthwhile to change your number frequently. You're a loser and everything you do in life sucks. Even if you have every legitimate reason in the world to hate everything TRS does, people like this actually harm your cause. And so I figure we must be on the same page in hating this loser. I, however, do not hate everything that TRS does. For the most part, my feelings could charitably be described as disinterest. And I find the haters a far more curious phenomenon than the fans. I know the TRS guys are talented and that they have done a lot of good work. I have a pretty good idea of how they obtain their status, and I do not consider that process on the whole at all curious, much less disreputable. I have not bothered to investigate the subject matter of the content in recent years, but the allegations people tend to lob against them in public with any frequency tend to strike me as either uncontroversial or easily disproven. If you know anything about me... You know that I have endured more than a little bit of slander over the course of my career. I am keenly aware of the value of a reputation due in no small part to this. I thus have a very special sort of contempt for people who go around tarnishing reputations carelessly and a burning hatred for people who do so with intent. I went on a bit of a diatribe on Gab and Telegram about this subject a couple days ago, and the volume was sufficient to warrant a blog post, and I'm going to share the substance of this with you here. But before I do, whenever this comes up, I feel compelled to remind people that I have no particular desire to carry water for the TRS guys. They are my competitors. We sell the same product to the same target demographic. If I didn't take reputation seriously, there's a train of thought where I stand to gain in some correlation with their losses. But I just don't view the world in that way, and I tend to feel a great deal of pity for the misguided fools who do. There's actually not a limited supply of overall value in the world which we need to destroy one another over. There are scarce resources, yes. Life in general is a competitive sport. There are winners and looters, losers in this. <laughs> winners and looters, then too. But winners and losers in this animated contest, and I obviously, perhaps, aim to win. 
But if you will indulge me in a bit of a thought exercise, try to imagine a scenario where the number of monetary units in circulation today were to somehow remain constant from now until the end of time. In that scenario, any plausible economic theory would anticipate those units increasing in purchase, purchasing power perpetually because although scarce resources are constantly consumed, every productive person who aims to earn a living creates value until those efforts cease. The cumulative amount of goods and services in the marketplace increases while the number of monetary units remains the same, and thus the supply-demand relationship between the two places downward pressure on prices as measured in those monetary units. Inflation is a product of monetary and credit expansion. There are other things that place upward pressure on prices, but properly understood, to quote Milton Friedman, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. I make a podcast, TRS makes a podcast. Your time is a scarce resource. For this, we are in competition. Your ability to earn money is limited, and thus the resources you have to spend supporting entertainers is limited. For this, we are in competition. The overall supply of value is not limited, and for this, we are not in competition. With all due respect to the converted, it is not a very ambitious goal for me to obtain your attention. If, as a political actor, I mean to make an impact, that impact is measured by my conversions of the as-yet unconverted. It's part of why I'm doing the game streaming. I can surely do more of this if I am well paid by those who believe something proximate to what I believe, and so I take that part of my job seriously enough. But people with money to spend do not tend to find slander admirable because a wealthy man understands that he will quickly cease to be wealthy if he loses his reputation. So, in the first place, the support I would accrue by amplifying and endorsing defamation is not of the kind that would tend to increase my own material well-being in the long term. More to the point, value overall is not measured in scarce resources or monetary units as such. It is a measure of the capacity to meet human wants and ease human discomforts. Of this, there is actually not a limited supply. I am not creating scarce physical resources, much less monetary units, by producing a podcast. I am actually consuming a great deal of such resources by powering my electronics and feeding myself and doing all that I must do that goes into my productions. A reasonable person does not from this conclude that I have failed to create value or that I have destroyed them with my productions. I have created as much value as I have satisfied human wants, and my capacity to do that does not actually have a hard physical limit, since there are no meaningful limits on human wants, and such wants may be filled by the simple or the complex, the scarce or the plentiful, all the same. If I utter two words that make the whole world happy, unlikely though that may be, then I have satisfied the wants of billions of people and thereby created a trend tremendous amount of value. By contrast, if I ruin a popular podcast, I am destroying value. If I wreck a good man's reputation, I am destroying a very valuable thing. These are, in my estimation, disreputable things for a man to do. It is far worse than the cliche of setting money on fire since doing this would at least in theory increase the value of the remaining monetary units in circulation, whereas depriving people of their enjoyment of a creative man's efforts really only removes that value of those efforts from the marketplace. Destroying a good man's reputation only limits his ability to meet wants and thereby generate value. These would, in theory, place upward pressure on prices as measured in stable monetary units, since now the supply-demand relationship between value in the market and monetary units it, it would be tilted in favor of the monetary units. I cannot make anyone better off by destroying good things. 
Sure enough, I can prevent greater destruction if I destroy destructive things. So destruction is not per se disreputable. It is just by definition not productive. Destruction is incapable of increasing value. I have been known to attack the people and things that I view as threatening to those things I value. I do believe that there is more value in the world as a consequence of me doing so than had I declined to so do. I hold cowards in contempt largely for this reason. But the idea that I win is a direct and predictable consequence of all loss to my competitor is loser think at its worst. It is laziness run amok. It is on par with idiotic theories about war being good for the economy, or as it is commonly described in economics texts, the broken window fallacy so well articulated by one Frederick Bastiat so long ago. TRS isn't paying me. They aren't promoting me. I have no particular reason to think that they will ever do either of those things. None of them wrote to me in prison. I haven't seen them in years. I don't listen to their shows or know whether they are worth listening to. It's just not something I am all that interested in. I've done a minimal degree of market research to glean what I can about them from a business perspective. I spoke to Mike once or twice when I got out of prison. I have his phone number, and I presume if I call, he'll either pick up or call me back, but I haven't seen fit to try in more than six months. That is the extent of my relationship with the TRS guys today. I spoke a bit about our history on a recent recording, and if you haven't listened to it already, that is certainly worth listening to. On account of this reality, perhaps the most telling thing about the TRS hater crowd is how quickly they attack me when I don't join in their disreputable mission. Despite my thorough disinterest in what TRS does, I have been accused by their, I suppose the popular term these days is A-log, so I'm not sure exactly how this is spelled or what the etymology of that uh, uh, term is. They accuse me of um, TRS D-sucking, and I'll let you figure out what D stands for there. Anyone who assumes that I'm sucking D's is obviously exposing themselves as a bad actor just for the fact that their mind is in the gutter and this is where their mind tends to drift when considering how other men spend their time. The fact that I'd, made, uh, that I'd make precisely zero mention of TRS were it not for them is all the more evidence of their disreputable claim. The last time I listened to a full episode of one of their shows when I wasn't a guest was probably in 2016, maybe 2017, and I don't even dislike them. It's just not something I devote my energy to. The idea that I would take time out of my day to dislike, much less hate, a podcast is preposterous to me, and if I were going to devote ever energy to such an endeavor, it seems to me there is more offensive material to be found on itsgoingdown.org or CNN or any other transgender terrorist website. Even if every lousy thing said about TRS was 100% true, the idea that somebody would so much as bother to type out the allegations to me seems downright childish. Let's take the most common one, the allegation that Mike Enoch is Jewish. We should all aspire to achieve a social status where this is the worst thing that somebody can say about us. I am as much an anti-Semite as anybody living today, but the mere fact of a man's ancestry is not actually what animates me. It is the things that these people do, and more broadly, the left-wing influence that they have on our politics that make me an anti-Semite. So I am thoroughly disinterested to even know if a man who presents as white has an ancestor who wore a kippah. And given that I have so often and so vocally stated this thorough disinterest in that subject, when people bring it up out of the blue, such as the fellow who called into my show that night for what was obviously the first time, I spot them very quickly as bad actors. 
If TRS were some kind of plot to screw white people over, this would not by this point be a debatable subject. We've seen these people come and go repeatedly over the years, and they tend to burn out their reputations very rapidly. You would have to be a complete idiot, for example, to think that Weave or Andrew Anglin were anything other than criminal scumbags financed by powerful forces. It won't take another five years for people to figure this out about Nick Fuentes. The reason anti-Semitism works is because the, the targets of it cannot help but demonstrate patterns of behavior that make their nefarious character obvious to observers, and they try to shut it down because they don't want it mentioned. If a guy comes on a podcast and speaks without a script for several hours a week, you might conclude that he was an idiot or a, or, a, or a bad guy or whatever. You don't have to be a genius or a saint to talk into a microphone for sure. But one cannot, through deception alone, accomplish the things that TRS has accomplished. They are successful due to a long track record of hard-earned merit. There are those who say that they are squandering this. I am not in a position to judge the merits of that, but at least those people have a leg to stand on. They can honestly defend that position rationally and not be spotted for scoundrels in the process. The people who say it's all some kind of trick, they cannot avoid being so spotted. Here's another very telling component of the TRS hater nonsense. So the guy who called into the show that night, he voiced a common refrain. Why did Mike Enoch get dismissed from the lawsuit that I was involved in the Signs v. Kessler thing down in Virginia? Well, if the caller had devoted enough time to understanding the subject he was discussing, that actually would not be a mystery. You wouldn't be posting this in the form of a question. You would have read the judge's decision, and you would have known that Judge Moon spelled it out quite plainly. If you thought the judge was doing Mike Enoch some kind of favor in this, you could have easily gone through the complaint and verified what was said yourself. But the guy didn't do that because he's not interested in knowing why Mike Enoch was dismissed from the lawsuit. His only purpose in posing the question was to make a false statement in the guise of just asking questions. Now, that is a very disreputable thing to do. As a matter of fact, it meets a stereotype of a despised ethnic group manipulating language like that. Smart people spot this very quickly, and you only fool sincere idiots when you do this. The reason Mike Enoch was dismissed from that lawsuit was because the plaintiffs failed to state a claim is the legal term. This means that even if everything he was accused of doing in the complaint were true, which is precisely the assumption the decision on such motions is based on, there would be no cause to hold him liable under the statutes being cited. If I sue you for assault and I cite the statute making it illegal to assault people, then I go on for 40 pages in my complaint about what a miserable jerk you've been acting like on the internet, but fail to mention the part where I got assaulted or fail to mention the part where you were the one who committed the assault, then the judge will appropriately spare me the pain of legal process by dismissing me from that suit. That is exactly what the plaintiffs did to Mike Enoch. They failed to state a claim. He went to a demonstration. He didn't even get to the demonstration. I don't think he showed up in the city. He was scheduled to speak, and he talked about it on his podcast. There was no allegation, much less any evidence, that he planned the event, engaged in violence, instructed anyone to do anything illegal, or was ever made aware of such a plot. All the plaintiffs accused him of doing was talking about the event and arriving in the city, and that's not illegal, not even arguably. Now, you might accurately say that other people ought to have been dismissed. You could say that the judge totally screwed us all, and he most certainly did. But if Judge Moon had denied Mike Enoch's motion to dismiss, an appellate court would have eventually overturned that decision, and it would have embarrassed Judge Moon. It would have tainted the entire litigation categorically to keep Enoch as a defendant. 
But only the people who bother to inform themselves of the circumstances would know that. And all of these people who are just asking questions so persistently demonstrate that they are lacking any such curiosity when the documents are staring them straight in the face. When the caller was confronted with the obviousness of this, he went into wholesale slander, claiming that Mike Enoch gave over a user list in Discovery. Even I did not have to do that, and I was not dismissed from the lawsuit, so that was obviously fake. The allegation was outright preposterous, and the caller knew it, and he was just trying to throw as much dirt as he could before I ended the call, which was not so long after this. Here's another. People who devote their days to the joyless existence of hating TRS as their primary function in life often say that Mike Enoch married a Jewish woman. Of this, there is actually no dispute. It is the singular allegation with factual basis. And okay, fine. If within your hierarchy of values, a man who fell in love with a Jewish woman must be a nefarious character and incapable of redemption, then that is your hierarchy of values. And all I can say about this is that I consider your view misguided, but I cannot challenge the factual accuracy of your claim. Yet you will find no traction with this on the radical agenda or surreal politics because I am 100% certain that I have impregnated at least one Korean woman, one black woman, and one Dominican woman. The Dominican girl, I actually went so far as to impregnate a second time, shocking though that may be to hear from me today. The only reason I am not buying Christmas presents for those four mixed-race children of mine right now, the only reason I am not shouting from the rooftops how much I love them and their mothers, is because the mothers aborted them without my consent. I cried my eyes out and damn near committed suicide as a consequence each time, and I remain to this day an avid pro-lifer. This is a very uncomfortable component of my life, as you might imagine, given what I know today. There's an argument to be made that I'm much better off for what those women did, but I might sooner kill myself than consider what they did in any sense good. Had any one of those three women done with those four pregnancies what I today think they ought to be legally obligated to do, I like to think that I've come to know the same things that I know today all the same. I hope that I would still find the courage to tell the truth and advocate for my people. Perhaps I might even go so far as to suffer the pain and the damage to my reputation of going through divorce and seeking a white wife to contribute to the genetic future of our race. But in the first place, I realize there is no certainty of that, and I would consider it a very painful and disreputable thing to divorce my wife for any reason other than her being sexually disloyal. A man who swears to do a thing incurs a serious obligation thereby, and to disavow that oath is a very serious thing for a reputable man to even consider much more to actually follow through on. I do not know all the circumstances, and I have my doubts ethnic animus was the singular cause of the man's divorce. But provided the marriage occurred prior to his becoming aware of the JQ, a, a, a white man who marries, a, uh, I'm sorry, who divorces a Jewish woman, um, has more to answer for in divorcing her than he does in marrying her, in my estimation. I will not endorse abortion just because I was ignorant of race in my youth. I would not disavow my offspring today had I been paired, spared the pain of their unceremonious slaughter by the ghouls of the abortion industry. When people have called the show expressing regret they're in love with a non-white woman while becoming aware of the things that we discuss, I have never once instructed any of them to leave that woman. I'd not be so sappy to say that love conquers all, but it has surely conquered stronger men than I. And if that seems odd to you, then you have my most sincere sympathy. Over the years, I've become something of a criticism connoisseur. 
I value meaningful criticism of myself because I find this in this, I find opportunity for improvement. When people who care about me inform me of my errors, I thank them. This happens often, and I consider it a blessing. This sadly does not describe the bulk of the criticism that I receive. With the absolute nonstop stream of complete nonsense spewed in my direction, I have had to learn to discern between quality criticism and utter nonsense. There is, of course, the more nuanced sort as well, wherein malicious actors pick on a sincere flaw and propose non-solutions as a means of manipulating people, and there's an awful lot of this. My own thoughts are haunted by self-criticism, and I know from experience much of this also lacks merit. When I observe criticism about others, it has become impossible not to notice that the best people are treated the worst in this fallen world. A man who is attacked by a mob stands out to me as a potential ally, and upon this observation, I must carefully consider the totality of the circumstances. In doing this, I have also observed that bad actors have taken advantage of this very phenomenon and used the disreputable behavior of political opposition as cover for their misdeeds. I do not have a formula to share with you to tell you which kind is which. I wish I had such a calculation to separate the signal from the noise in my own life, but I do not. It is a constant and perpetual exercise in learning and discernment. I make mistakes, and historically, some of them have been quite severe. When I criticize others, I try and sometimes fail to be cautious in my target acquisition and methodology. I find my talent for language proves both helpful and harmful in this because I can say things with wit or venom without forfeiting detail or precision. A mocking tone or evident contempt might hammer home the point or it might distract therefrom, depending on a limitless variety of unstable variables. What I can say with absolute certainty is that liars are poor sources of information and that organized long-term campaigns of lies are the product of well-financed political organizations and intelligence agencies, not grassroots audience revolts. Most of what I see at the lob to the TRS crew could credibly be suspected of coming from AI text generators. A few themes are plugged into a computer system that monitors the public communications of a community. Machine learning mimics speech patterns of the participants and echoes the slander according to those patterns through anonymous online accounts, each of whom appear on the surface to operate with all the energy of a well-compensated full-time employee. Real people do not behave in this way. And I know this in part because I know sincere people who really dislike the TRS crew. They have good faith complaints and suspicions. There is substance to what they complain about. Most notably, since these sincere people have higher priorities than to center their politics around contempt for a podcast they no longer consider worth listening to. They have a healthy, holistic worldview in which their distaste for a set of content producers is well integrated and appropriately prioritized. They have my utmost respect, and they are not the targets of my contempt in these paragraphs. I suspect a day when documents will be declassified to tell us the role of government intelligence agencies in what I've here described and those institutions, on the other hand, have earned all of my hostility. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to give you one last chance to call in if you care to, 217-688-1433. If you would like to be on the program, I'll go over here and check on the chat and see if there's uh, anything on here. Um, People expect those born in our era to come out of the womb. Red build are so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, that's true, friend. Um, and so let's go check uh, Rumble. Not a whole lot there. All right, guys. Well, uh, I appreciate you tuning in, those of you who did. Uh, my apologies to the Rumble guys. I will upload my full recording of the episode to Rumble. So if you want to catch the beginning of it on the replay, you'll have that opportunity. 
Um, I, I apologize for the, uh, the trouble that we had at the beginning of the stream today. Uh, you should probably pay me. Uh, those of you who uh, have not uh, done that much or at all, please go ahead. ChristopherCantwell.net slash donate. SurrealPolitics.com slash donate. Either way. SurrealPolitics.com slash join. You can become a member. That would be a great idea. Then you could join us on Wednesdays. Um, I think we're going to start using for the Wednesday, uh, the Wednesday member chats. We'll do. I'm going to. I'll send you an email, members. Okay. Uh, I'm going to get in touch with you. I think the thing to do for the Wednesday member chats might be to host them on the Discord, and I have the means by which to control access to the Discord with the membership um, functions of the website. So. I think that'll work out better. We've had some technical problems over there, but uh, you know that's a little bit more of an internet in, in, intimate setting. Obviously, I'm not a difficult guy to get a hold of, so you know charging extra for access to me is uh, is a venture with limited success. But you get access to surreal politics. You get access members only access to ChristopherCantwell.net, and I have published a couple of more things, by the way, um, at ChristopherCantwell.net in the members only section. I'm going to keep on continuing to do that. Uh, you get access to fullhousemembers.com, membership access over there. If you're a Surreal Politics member, I mean, we're building this whole, you know, network of stuff, and it's really it's really good, and it's going to be a game changer. I really think that that's true. And so those of you who are financing this, you're doing something very important, and I'm very grateful to you. Those of you who are not financing it, hey, look, I'm not telling you that you got to skip uh, Christmas presents for your kids. Don't, don't let me impose upon your life, but, you know, uh, uh, if, uh, you know, if you're able to throw 10 bucks at me, there's a lot of different ways to do that. I got the uh, the Cash App, Edgy Chris. Uh, I got, you can give me any type of cryptocurrency you want. Oh, you Bitcoin guys, you just got rich. Come on. You know, it's time to uh, stop hodling on and fork it over to me so that I can go uh, turn it into cash and go spend it on things. Um, the the Amazon wish list is there. ChristopherCantwell.net slash gifting will tell you more about that. But uh, money would be much more helpful presently. I would really appreciate that. So uh, whichever, whatever, you, whatever works for you, um, I do appreciate all of your material support. And we're going to keep on doing the game streams and Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I am not going to. Uh, somebody just mentions Angry Goy play. Eh, I might do that once or twice. I, you know. You guys would get a kick out of that, probably, but you know, it's not—it's not very visually compelling. I don't—you know—how much am I going to get out of that? I, I'll do it as a as a novelty for you guys, um, and so, yeah. I think you know I, I'm interested in your feedback. Genuinely, you know, if you're if you're watching the game streams, especially, let me know what you think about how those are going. If you think that you know changing the games or certain things about the format would be better, I'd be very interested to know. I'm looking for ultimately like ways that I can interact with people that are safe. Okay. You know, me interacting with people over the years has a mixed track record, say, you know, for my, you know, well being. <laughs> but it has the potential to be very interesting. I think you'll agree. And that's, you know, why I've done an open phone show for so long. You know, somebody somebody mentioned on um, you know, on the on the game stream last night that I'm mo I'm at my best when I'm speaking directly to you. And there's a lot of merit to that and I appreciate the compliment. But of course, you know, I need to be prompted along in some respect. I can't. I can't always be speaking from a prepared monologue. You know, I can't always be off on some rant. I need, you know, conversation. I need interaction. I need inspiration to do things. And if I can find those things, then I can produce more content and I can get it in front of more eyeballs. And I'll be interested in all of your suggestions on how I go about doing those things. And so, ChristopherCantwell.net/slash/contact. You know how to find me. Lots of ways to do that. I am the easiest guy to get a hold of. 
and you should go ahead and do that. So, you know, you can talk to me. You can pay me. I'm so accessible. It's great, you know. And uh, I appreciate all I do. More than you know. Merry Christmas. We'll talk again before then, of course. But, you know, we'll just say it all month. You know, it's December. December's Christmas time. And that's kind of how it is, you know. I'll save the New Year stuff for after Christmas, but, you know. See you soon. Uh-huh.